Good morning. <laughs> I want to thank John and the tech team people for putting that little thing together. In case you missed the reference, uh, it's, uh, the title of this message is a reference to a uh, spy movie. And I just couldn't resist the spy theme for this week's message. Because the passage we're looking at today is one of the oldest spy stories in recorded history. It is all the exciting elements of a really good spy movie. There's undercover agents. They infiltrate enemy territory. But the mission goes bad, and their cover is blown. And then there's a disreputable local woman who surprisingly comes to their aid at the last minute. The spies barely escape the enemy territory, and they make it back to their side. And, you know, I I feel like I've seen that movie before, and I've read that story. But what I never really appreciated before this week was how much those movies and stories are borrowing from the greatest story ever told, God's Word, the Bible. This week, we're continuing to move through the book of Joshua, and we're going to look at Joshua chapter 2. Our text is going to paint a picture for us of God's control and His saving work. It's also going to tell us about a safe place in a doomed city, and it's going to give us some of God's encouragement for His people. It's an exciting story, so let's go ahead and dive in. If you're not already there, I'd ask you to turn to the book of Joshua, chapter 2. If you'd like to use that red Bible in the seat back in front of you, you should find it on page 117, Joshua 2. Once you are there, I'd ask you to please stand to honor the reading of God's Word, if you are able. I'm not going to read all of Joshua 2. It's a longer passage. I'll read it as we go through the message. So for right now, I'm just going to read some portions from it, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. The first portion I'm going to read is starting in verse 8, Joshua 2, verse 8. Before the men lay down, she, Rahab, came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, Sihon, Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. I'm jumping now to verse 17. Verse 17. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us to swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, well, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. And then finally, I'm jumping down to verse 23, verse 23. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also, the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Let's pray. 
Lord, in this moment, may our focus be on you. We pray that you get the glory with everything that's said and done here today. To borrow the words from John the Baptist, what we're asking God is that you would increase and that we would decrease. Lord, teach us to trust in your control and to embrace the truth that you can save anyone. May our faith in you and our faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, be our one and only safe place. May that faith, may your work, be our source of encouragement. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So let's think about where we are in Scripture. We are again in the book of Joshua. This book is the true story of God fulfilling his promise to his people to give them a land of their own. They had spent 400 years in slavery in Egypt, and then God used Moses to lead his people to freedom. They spent another 40 years wandering in the wilderness, but now there's a new generation of God's people, and they're camped on the eastern shore of the Jordan River. They've just taken some land from some evil kings whose names are Sihon and Og, but what they know is that God has promised them land on the other side of the river. We talked last week how Joshua has been commissioned as the leader of God's people. God has promised to be with him. God has challenged him to be strong and courageous. Joshua and the rest of the Israelites, they've responded with obedience and commitment. They are ready to move forward into the promised land. So let's look at our text. The first lesson we learn from this story is that God is in control. God is in control. Listen to verses 1 through 7. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, behold, men of Judah, come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid out in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Now, you might have noticed that God was not mentioned any time at all in those seven verses, but I would argue that you could see his presence and his work in every action. Let's talk about how. So Joshua sends out two spies from the Israelites' base at Shittim, or the Acacia Grove. Their mission is to investigate the west side of the Jordan River, especially the city of Jericho. Jericho was the very first city the Israelites would encounter when they crossed the river. They couldn't ignore it. It would have to be taken first. And so Joshua wisely wants to know what's going to be ahead for his army. His spies cross the river. They arrive at Jericho, and they lodge or stay at the house of Rahab the prostitute. Now, this was not about uh, they were interested in sex or something like that. This is actually a smart move on their part. 
two strangers coming into a town and going straight to the local brothel. That was sadly a common sight in the ancient world. They're trying to stay low, be undercover. But by God's hand, they end up at the house of someone who is coming to faith in their same Lord. Now, all the spies know at this time is that this will be a good place for them to gather information. But then, between verse 1 and 2, something goes horribly wrong. Somehow, somehow the king of Jericho learns who they are, and he learns that these spies have come to search out his city for weaknesses. Now, me, I read that, and my question is, well, how did that happen? Did someone betray their trust? Were these spies victims of someone spying on them? There's some commentators who think maybe it was their speech or their dialect that gave them away. But we're not told what happened. All we know is that the whole operation looks like it's about to fall apart. But right before that happens, we see God at work. Because their Canaanite, pagan, immoral host defends them. Who could have seen that coming? One of their sinful enemies stands up for these spies. These spies are trying to destroy her city. She stands up for them. We can see God brought them to the right place, to the right person, at the right time. Our text tells us that Rahab hides the spies. And then when she's questioned, she claims she did not know who they were. And she tells the king's men that the spies have left her house, but she doesn't know exactly which way they went. See, she suggests to these guards that perhaps they've left the city and they're running back to the Israelites on the other side of the river. She gets the pursuers to leave by telling them to hurry outside. If they hurry outside the city, they can try to overtake them. They can try to catch them. And miraculously, her ruse works. The guards do not search her house. And instead, they pursue Rahab's rumor. And they chase the men, or at least they think they are, to the fords or the shallow crossings of the river. And then they lock the city shut behind them. We're told that meanwhile, Rahab has hidden the spies under stalks or bundles of flax on her roof. The inner fibers of this flax, they would place them on roofs so they could dry, and then they would use them to make linen. Some people say this is an often rare material. It was, wasn't common for people to have a lot of this, but enough of it just happens to be available to keep the spies hidden. Well, in these verses, there's a lot of action and drama. Can you see God's work in these verses, even though he's not mentioned? He is protecting his people's spies. There were many opportunities there for them to be caught, but he was with them. He kept them safe. Last week, we read about how the Lord said to Joshua, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God was with these spies. He is faithful to his promise to his people to bring them into the land. The spies faced several unexpected challenges, but I'm sure after this event, they could look back and see that God was good to them and that he was with them the whole time. I read a note from one pastor on this passage, Rhett Dotson. He put it this way, We can look back at what has happened in our lives and we can see the hand of God at work. We may not know why certain things happen to us when they do, 
any more than these spies knew who gave up their whereabouts. It says God's providence, his control, that can be puzzling, especially when we are going through a trial. Often, it is only later that we can understand more of what God is doing. I know that's definitely true for me in my life. There have been many things in my past, and there's been many seemingly random events, even in the past few weeks, that really do not make much sense to me. Why did this happen this way instead of that way? But I know that God has a purpose in each of them, and sometimes He helps me understand why things happened the way they did, and sometimes He doesn't, but He is still always in control. Now, before I move on to the next lesson we see in the passage, we do need to spend a minute or two addressing the kind of elephant in the room or the elephant in this text. On the one hand, the Bible tells us that bearing false witness or lying is a sin. On the other hand, Rahab lies to protect these spies. And there's some tension between those two points. And I know that there are believers, some in the States, but particularly those on other sides of the world, they wrestle with this issue of deception for the greater good. I'm not saying that that's an easy problem to solve. But solving that problem, that's that's really not the point of our text, of our passage. This passage is a story. It's an Old Testament narrative. It's telling us what happened. And it does not answer all of our questions. The authors of this book do not intend for us to figure out if Rahab's lie was a sin. They intend for us to see Rahab's faith and thank God for it. We could say perhaps she didn't know better. After all, she was a a pagan who was just beginning to trust God. We cannot expect her to act like a mature believer. One scholar, Michael Smith, he put it this way, we do not change people's behavior and then bring them to God. We introduce people to God and let God change their hearts. When the New Testament talks about Rahab, it praises her for welcoming the spies, for hiding the spies. It doesn't specifically praise her for lying to cover for them. So maybe she was just learning how to live for the Lord and she needed to be taught more about him. But I'm saying maybe and perhaps, I'm not saying that definitively, because at the end of the day, the right or wrong of this specific case, it really doesn't matter. All we can say for sure is that God used a lying prostitute for his purposes. And instead of us spending a lot of time trying to figure out, was this the the right or the wrong thing to do? I think in our daily lives, we should live by the Apostle Paul's instructions of Philippians 4.8. He says, finally, brothers, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. If we're thinking about the truth in our daily lives, and if we're seeking to honor God, thinking about honoring Him, then I trust He will give us the discernment to know what to say if or when the time comes that we're faced with a similar circumstance. As our text has shown us, as we talked about, God is in control. And since God is in control of all things and in all circumstances, that means that he can save anyone. He can save anyone. Let's read verses 8 through 14. Tell us, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof 
and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And we have heard what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you've devoted to destruction. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and will give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Before the spies lay down and go to sleep under these flax stalks, Rahab comes up to them on the roof to have a conversation with them, explain her actions. And her words here, particularly those verses 9 through 11, are some of the most profound in the entire book of Joshua. She tells the spies, verse 9, I know, she knows that God has given the Israelites the land of Canaan, and that includes her city of Jericho. She tells them that great fear and terror has made the people of Canaan and Jericho afraid of the Israelites. They are living in terror. They are faint-hearted. Their hearts are melting with fear. Their resistance to God's people is melting away. As I thought about their emotions, it reminded me how years ago I played some sports video games, like a football video game with my siblings. And as you were playing the game, if your team was losing, your controller started to shake. There was something in it that made it rumble there because that made it then even harder for you. You were losing and the game made it even harder for you to come back and try to win. Well, in the same way, Rahab is telling the spies that their countrymen are shaking with fear. They are afraid because they have heard what the God of Israel can do. She tells them in verse 10, they have heard how God dried up the Red Sea, how he made a dry path for his people to escape from Egypt. But remember, the Israelites spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. So that event, that crossing the Red Sea, that was over 40 years before this event that we're reading about today. But even though it was over 40 years ago, it was still fresh in the Canaanites' mind. They all knew what had happened. And in addition, they saw how quite recently the kingdoms of Sihon and Og on the east side of the Jordan River were just completely and utterly destroyed. And so the Canaanites look at what God has done for the Israelites in the past, bringing them through the Red Sea, what he's done in the present, defeating these two kings, and it made their hearts melt with fear. They lost their courage. They lost their fighting spirit. Moses related a similar promise from the Lord in Deuteronomy 2.25. He says, This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you on the peoples who are under the whole heaven, who shall hear the report of you. They shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. 
when the Israelites attacked Jericho, they would be attacking people who knew that their days were numbered. And that news alone should have encouraged the spies. But then, then Rahab says something truly incredible. This is in verse 11. She knew that God had redeemed his people out of slavery in Egypt. She knew that he had the power to defeat the kings on the other side of the Jordan River. And so she thought about the Israelites. She thought about their God. And she has decided that Israel's God is supreme to the religion of her city. So she declares that the Lord of these spies, he is God. And he rules over everything in the heavens above and the earth below and beneath. This statement of faith from Rahab, it echoes some words of Moses. This is from Deuteronomy 4, 39. Moses said, Know therefore, lay it to your heart, that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Rahab recognized that the Israelites' God was the one true God the only one who could save her from the coming judgment. Rahab rejected her own people for the Israelites and for their God. She completely turned from her old way of life to faith and trust in the Lord. We have few clearer examples of saving faith in the Old Testament than this one. Rahab's new faith then inspires her to ask the Israelites to show kindness to her and to her family for the kindness she has given to them, the help that she has given to the spies. She asked them to deal kindly with her, to give her a sign, a, a token, a guarantee that she will be spared from their coming attack. She has a new faith, a new allegiance, and she asked the children of her new God to deliver her from death. Well, the spies agree. They promise to treat her loved ones kindly if she continues to keep their secrets. They are beginning the process of welcoming Rahab into the family of God. After the conquest of Jericho, we read this in Joshua 6.25. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day. When this book was written, she was still alive because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. She would live in and among her new people. We find out in some other passages in the Bible that she married an Israelite man. It appears that she was fully accepted among the people. We read about her also in the New Testament. The New Testament praises Rahab for her faithful response to God's people. In Hebrews eleven thirty one, 31, we see, By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, she was not killed with those who were disobedient. This former prostitute is in this chapter, Hebrews 11, God's hall of faith. In fact, everywhere she appears in Scripture, she is praised. The Apostle James holds her up as a model of how faith in God should impact our lives. It should lead to a change in what we do. He says in James 2, 25 and 26, And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified, shown to be right by her works, when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? This is the point James is making. As our body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. 
her faith flowed out of her into words and actions. In this passage here, I, I get the feeling that as soon as the guards were gone, she runs up to the roof, that she couldn't help sharing that she believed in God. She acted in accordance with that belief. Her beliefs led her to action. But despite all of that, probably there is no higher honor that could be given to Rahab than her inclusion in the genealogy, the descendants of Jesus Christ. We read about it in Matthew 1. We read about Salmon, the father, was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was then the father of Obed by Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of David the king, and Jesus was a descendant of David. When these spies came to Jericho, only God knew that Rahab would one day be an ancestor of the Messiah, of Jesus. And so again, we see God's amazing sovereign control. And we see that God can truly save anyone. I think more than anything else, that is what we should learn from this story. Yes, Rahab's faithful response is commendable. She deserves praise. But Rahab is not the ultimate hero in this story. No mere person is ever the true hero of a story in the Bible. God is always the ultimate true hero. The Apostle Paul presents God's work this way. This is 2 Corinthians 4, 6 and 7. God said, let there be light and darkness. He has made this light shine in our hearts so that we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. God showed it to us, and now we have this light shining in our hearts. We ourselves, we're just like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. God is the one who should always get the glory. He should be the one who is praised when someone comes to faith because it is his power at work. Yes, someone may have made a wise decision to follow God. And yes, someone may have put a lot of effort into loving a sinner and sharing the good news with them. But still, God is the one who changes hearts. He alone is the one who saves. Now, these verses that we just read, we're actually going to come back to in about a month or so, because we're going to spend a whole week, a whole Sunday, talking about the morality of what the people of Israel are doing. Was it right for them to take to the promised land? Was it right for them to do this conquest? And we'll come back to this passage, because Rahab is the major argument that what's happening here in Joshua is not some kind of ethnic genocide, because Rahab was a Canaanite. She was one of the people the Israelites were supposed to destroy. Yet she comes to genuine faith in the Lord. She joins the Israelites. She is accepted into the family of God. One commentator on this, his name was V. Phillips Long, he said this, this underscores the gracious character of the God of Israel and the fact that the boundary between Israel and Canaan, it was not drawn along ethnic lines, but in terms of allegiance to the Lord. The Canaanites were enemies of God, but they did not have to stay that way. Like Rahab, they could come to faith in the one true God. So it doesn't matter where you're from, who you are, or what you did. Any kind of person can come to know God. 
One of my favorite passages about this is in the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 6, this is 9 through 11. Here's what Paul says. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And, this is the phrase I love, and such were some of you. Past tense, such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, declared righteous in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The point of that passage, 1 Corinthians 6, is not for us to condemn anyone who was listed in that list of sins. The point is to reveal God's great grace to us. If a pagan prostitute, if an enemy of God's people can come to faith in the Lord, then who can't be saved? Well, the answer is no one, because God can save anyone. Every kind of sinner can come to know him. There is no one we should look at and think, well, that person's a little too far gone. Now, maybe, maybe someone is so hardened that they will never come to faith in Jesus. But friends, we can't know that this side of eternity. There is no way that we can know that or figure that out. All we can know for certain is what our passage shows us, and that's that God can save anyone. So, let me ask, who will you share God's good news with this week? Who have you written off as would never be interested in the things of God? Now, I'm not telling you to go and be obnoxious to someone who doesn't want to hear about Christ. I'm simply saying, do not doubt the grace of the God who can save anyone. Believers in God need to tell the lost how to be saved. And that's why the third lesson we learn from this spy story is that there is only one safe place. Only one safe place. Listen to verses 15 through 21. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills or the pursuers will encounter you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned, and then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us to swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, all your father's household. Then If anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, well, his blood shall be on his own head. We shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us to swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. We see that Rahab's house was part of the city wall, so she probably had a window that was on the outside, and she lets the spies down by a rope outside the city. She tells them to head towards the mountains, head towards the hill country of Canaan. 
This is a good idea because the hills are the opposite direction of the Israelites' camp. They're in the west while the camp was in the east on the other side of the river. Again, it's a good idea because the pursuers from Jericho would not expect the spies to head the wrong way. Now, before they leave, the spies explain to Rahab the sign that will keep her family safe during the Israelites' invasion. If she binds, if she ties a scarlet cord hanging out of her window, then everyone in that house will be spared. The spies say they will not be responsible for anyone who's caught outside of her house. Only those inside the house with the scarlet cord will be saved. Rahab accepts these terms, and she sends them on her way. Now, remember, in verse 18, the spies tell Rahab that when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window. They say, when we come, when you see us coming, then you should tie this cord. However, verse 21 seems to tell us that Rahab didn't wait. It says that she sent them away, they departed, and as soon as they were gone, she tied the scarlet cord to the window. I like how Charles Spurgeon talks about Rahab's actions. He says, she did not make preparations to defend the house against the siege. There is no notification. She appealed to the king to have a special guard protect that part of the wall. I do not believe that she had a solitary fear or a moment's terror. The scarlet line was in the window, and she felt secure. She had appropriated. She had taken on, accepted the promise, and she believed it would not be broken. Once again, Rahab is identifying herself with God's people, and she's trusting in the Lord to be faithful. Once again, she's proving that her faith is genuine. Rahab worshiped and served the God of Israel. There can be no doubt. These verses showed us that the one safe place, the one safe place in the city of Jericho was this house with the scarlet cord. Anywhere else in the city, no matter how protected it may have seemed, may have appeared, it was actually a tomb. Joshua and the Israelites would destroy everything in Jericho. Yet once the city is defeated, we read this, but to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. Rahab and her family were spared because they trusted in the promise of the scarlet cord. Through this experience, Rahab learned that God could be trusted. The faithfulness of God's people surely encouraged her new faith in the Lord. And the same lesson can be applied to our lives today. As Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong or a fortified tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. Rahab is one of the first Gentiles, non-Jews, that we read about who come to faith in the one true God. So what about you? There is only one safe place that you can go to escape judgment for your sin. That one safe place is faith in Jesus Christ. Your sin separated you from God. It earns you God's judgment. But Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on behalf of those who depend on him 
for safety. If you turn away from your sin, if you trust in Him alone, He will bring you to eternal security. So again, I ask, what about you? Are you trusting in the strong tower and the house with the scarlet cord that is Jesus Christ? I encourage you to ask me questions about that or or ask another genuine follower of Jesus Christ how you can have a relationship with him. Now, for those of you who are believers in Jesus, you are among God's people today, well, the chapter ends by showing us God's encouragement for his people. God's encouragement. Listen to verses 22 through 24. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also, the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. The pursuers look everywhere along the road to the Jordan, but they're unsuccessful at finding the spies because, as we know, the spies aren't there. After three days, the spies come down from the hills and cross the river. They complete their mission. They bring God's encouragement to his people. They report back to Joshua. They share what Rahab told them about the whole land melting with fear of the Israelites and their God. Rahab's words here are a fulfillment of a promise of God from the book of Exodus, Exodus 23, 27. God said he would send his terror before you. He will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. Learning this must have filled the spies with confidence. I'm sure they were eager to pass that on to the people. The feeling that those three days were probably the longest three days in their entire lives. They were so excited to share this encouragement from the Lord. Such news would give Joshua and the Israelites the confidence they needed to move forward until God's promises were fulfilled. A couple weeks ago, we talked about how this book ends. Look at Joshua 21, 44. The Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. The spies' report showed Joshua and the Israelites that God was already fulfilling his promise to give them the land. The enemies knew that the Israelites would win. All God's people had to do was go and take what their Lord was already giving them. And God does the same for his people today. He promises to be with us. He promises to make us more like Christ. He promises to use us to make disciples of all nations. We do not need to be afraid. We can move forward because God is good and he is faithful. He loves to encourage us. He calls us to do what he has called us to do. He is in control of every circumstance in our lives, just like he controlled this mission of the spies. He can use us to save anyone just as he saved Rahab. God in the heavens above and the earth beneath, he brings us into the only true safe place in the entire universe, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes, life will be hard, 
We will face trials, challenges, and difficulties. But in Christ, we are eternally secure. Friends, let this encouragement lead you to praise Him because He alone is worthy.